Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition, where we get a chance to talk with you about the Bible and its relevance uh, for today, every Tuesday at 2. My name is Justin Dobbs. I want to welcome you along. And let me invite you to interact with us live. You can use YouTube. We'll be looking at the live chat during a discussion. Uh, we'll also be uh, checking out things at BibleQuest.tv. So if you want to leave a comment or a question, we'd love uh, a chance to talk with you about your questions and your concerns and your journey to know the Lord and His Word. Uh, today we have with us Scott Smelser. Uh, Scott, how are you doing today? Doing well. Good to see you, Justin. Good to see you, too. Really glad you're with us. Uh, we have finished up Mark, uh, and so we were talking about some things to, to look at together today. A number of options that we were discussing, but but one that just seems always relevant. Uh, repentance. We're going to talk about repentance today. And really, it's a word that I don't use outside of religious discussions. And uh, I think it's a word that I grew up hearing, but one that I've recently come to appreciate more and more, not just personally, but with people that I've spoken with, I've talked with that get trapped in sin and want to know what does it look like to really repent. Um, I'd like to look at Luke 3 to begin with. I was thinking of uh, different different teaching in both the Old Testament and New Testament that have to do with repentance. Um, and of course, the prophets, the prophets all tell us oh, yeah. people to repent, sort of this twofold message of repent before it's too late, judgment's coming. And then there's hope because God wants to forgive. Uh, but it's always, it always seems to be that one, two punch, right? Is repent judgment and there's hope because God wants to forgive. But I'm, my mind immediately goes to John the Baptist. Um, Scott, what, what do you, when you think about John the Baptist, what comes to your mind? Well, let, let's let's take a look at the passage where it's most specific there in the gospel. Uh, if you've got it open, go ahead and read it for us. I'll just introduce it. That his message, when you look at John the Baptist across the gospels, you often see two things. Repent, the kingdom is at hand, and I'm not the one, he's mightier than I. And on the repentance part, this is where people are asking specifically what to do. Because repentance is not just a nebulous, you know, um, I'm sorry, I want to, it's godly sorrow produces repentance, 2 Corinthians 7. And then repentance should have fruits of repentance, John the Baptist said. Yes. And so you've got tax collectors and uh, soldiers here. And so let's read what he said. Yeah, so let's start in uh, in Luke 3. Uh, Luke gives some historical bits. So we, we see this, this really happened uh, in real time. And in verse 3, Luke 3, verse 3, it says that John the Baptist went to all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham's our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. 
Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Then he gets into some specifics. The crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. The tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? He said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. And then he goes on to answer some questions about uh, about the Messiah to come and whether he's that one or not. But he gets, like you said, it, it's not some general feeling about, I think maybe I'm doing bad and I, I feel sorry about it, but he gives him specifics. Yeah. He's got to change. Yeah. And one of my favorite verses on repentance is a verse that doesn't use the word repentance. It's also in the gospel. It's in chapter nine, verse 23. Uh, and we'll also be looking at, I imagine, chapter 13, 3, except you repent, you will all perish. Well, let's look at Luke 9, 23. This really gets to the heart. So, Jesus said, Luke 9, 23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow him. That's a change. That's a change if you're a tax collector. That's a change if you're a soldier. That's a change if you're a prostitute. That's a change if you're a self-righteous Pharisee. So our tendency is to be selfish. Yeah. Me first. Self first. Where we put God may depend on other things, but if he's not in the number one spot, we have a repentance. So you've got atheists who God's not even on the top hundred that don't believe there is a God. You've got people who believe there is a God, but he's way down on the list. You've got the rich young lady who can be running to Jesus, gets on its knees for Jesus, wants eternal life asks what to do and he's been keeping the Ten Commandments and, and the Golden Rule throughout his life and says but Jesus his heart and he can see that God isn't first that money is and he tells him you lack one thing right you're good to give it to the poor and then what does he do goes away sorrowful goes away sorrowful when he had to pick, he picked the self. Uh, so really, he's not that different than the rich fool in Luke 12. Yeah. They're both lost. They both thought their money was more important than God. And that's inexcusable. So when there's not repentance, uh, we may be sitting on the front row of church. We may be, you know, neighborhood leader in our community. You know, employee of the month. But if we're not putting God first, then all this so just stop a why does a thief steal? Because he's selfish. Why does uh, a liar lie? Why does an adulterer commit adultery? Because they're selfish. And why were the Pharisees 
trusting in themselves, exalting themselves, and boasting of themselves. Mm -hmm. They were selfish. So Jesus said, Here's the, this is the chance. This is what repentance is. Yeah. Self has to be dethroned. Yes. Yeah. And take up your cross. Now, this is interesting because when I hear the word cross, I can think of mercy, gospel, grace, redemption, atonement, sacrifice. Jesus hasn't died yet. So what does cross mean? It means suffering, pain, humiliation, execution. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's a thing somebody died, miserably dies on. We've got to crucify the old man. Romans 6, Galatians 2. But that only in the day. The one that put God first. So, when it, I mean, the one that put self first. Reject self first, God later, and switch it. Yeah. This guy, do this daily and follow me. That's repentance. It, it seems to me, when you think about John the Baptist and his work and preaching repentance and what you're talking about with, you know, taking up your cross daily, the, the kind of putting myself down, the kind of humility that that requires. John was was poised to to make that um, that humble decision to follow God more apparent, because I mean, when you go out to see John, he's not he's not in an air conditioned palace. Uh, he's not wearing luxurious robes and serving up some nice buffet for people who come to see him. Uh, he's out in the wilderness. He's wearing some rough clothing, eating some pretty scanty food, and he's calling people vipers. <laughs> so you, you'd have to be humble to want to go out and listen to his preaching anyway. He'd have to have something that you wanted really bad. The reason to repent is restoration. Yeah. So the, the word repentance, um, I often thought repentance just means that I, I feel bad. I feel sorry for what I've done. But the word means more than that, right? It, it's, I'm, I'm turning around. Yeah, it's real clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, the Corinthians, and, and without getting into the debate of whether this was the man of first Corinthians or another sitter at court later, there is a man in the church that they would stand against. And they've done so. And it's now time to forgive them. What Paul is talking about is appreciation of hearing that they stood up and did the right thing. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, um, I'll start with verse 9, uh, even verse 8. He said, if I make you agree with my letter, I don't regret it, though I did regret it. And I see that the letter leads you, though, only for a while. And to do, I'm sure what I'm going to let you go because I've got some time here. Yeah, I, I can read verse nine. Uh, as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, 
nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. So you, you see the complete shift. Uh, it's one thing to be sorry that I've done wrong. It's one thing to be sorry about the consequences of what I did wrong. Um, you know, if, if I... If I get into an argument with my wife because I I said something I shouldn't have said uh, and, you know, spout off or uh, I, I'm i upset because now I'm feeling all nervous and anxious because I got stopped for speeding or, you know, I'm sorry because I was lazy and didn't do my work and didn't get it done on time. And so now I'm feeling, you know, okay, there are consequences to all these bad decisions but do I feel sorry for the consequences or do I feel sorry for actually having disrupted God's will for me and I've turned against him? That's a very different kind of sorrow. It's a worldly selfish sorrow versus a sorrow that's directed toward having made God sad. So I think you're, uh, you may be muted, Scott. Yes. And as it describes your worldly sorrow and godly sorrow, uh, the, Rich young ruler went away sorrowful. Yes. Not with God would sorrow, because that would have led to repentance. Right. In the way sorrowful, because he wanted to keep all his stuff and follow Jesus. That's what he wanted. When Jesus made him choose, and remember, Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You know, somebody's going to be in the driver's seat, and he left the money in the driver's seat. Uh, when he couldn't have it both ways, he saw it. But godly sorrow produces repentance. And that's what you see in the apostle. Yeah. See godly sorrow. That's what you see in the sinful woman in Luke 7. You have a self-righteous Pharisee who isn't really seeking forgiveness. And you have uh, somewhat notorious because uh, he knows, and apparently most people in the village know what kind of wrong this is. Right. That she's actually sorry for her sins. Yeah. And, and she, she receives joy, essentially. Uh, yeah. she, she learns to love because she's been forgiven. That's in Luke 7. W one example that comes to mind of what repentance shouldn't look like and this kind of worldly sorrow is in 1 Samuel 15 uh, with King Saul. Oh, yeah. God, God tells him, I want you to go and destroy the Amalekites because from years before the Amalekites had stood in God's way, stood against Israel in the wilderness back in Exodus 16, I believe it is. And, and now God says, it's time for you to deal with them. And so Saul goes out. He's supposed to destroy everything, except he doesn't. On the way back, he sets up a monument to himself. Look at me. I've done so great in battle. Uh, and Samuel hears from God about it, and Samuel is just brokenhearted by this and confronts Saul the next day. And uh, and Samuel hears Saul saying, hey, I've done everything God told me to do. And Samuel's like, here's some, here's some cows. <laughs> you know, what, what's with the sheep? Let's let's read this section. This is really worth reading. First Samuel chapter 15. And uh, let's start with verse... I think it's 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I've made Saul king. 
for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Samuel was angry and cried to the Lord all night. Samuel came early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed out on, passed on and went down toward Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have to go perform the commandment of the Lord. Nah. We'll go back. I'll be Saul. You can say that. Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? They brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have destroyed, uh, we have devoted to destruction. Stop. I'll tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said, speak. Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce and spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, king of Amalek, and I have devoted Amalek to destruction. But the people took the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the best things to go to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God and Gilgal. Has the Lord's great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And then go ahead and read the last salt part, which we didn't take. I mean, yeah, th th this next bit here, it sounds like it sounds good at first, but you've got to pay attention. Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. And he's absolutely right. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel says, I'm not going to return with you. Uh, I, you have rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord has rejected you from being king. And Samuel goes away. Saul seizes his robe. There's a ripping and tearing. And, and what Saul really wants is for Samuel to return with him uh, to honor him before the people. And you can just tell that Saul's heart is not in it. Like he has not really turned back to the Lord. He's just hoping to salvage some kind of self-respect in this situation. And that is exactly the kind of confession and repentance that's not real confession or repentance. Right. It's, oh, okay, okay. You know, he's argued, he's argued, he's, and now when he finally is cornered, he's going, and, oh, okay, well, then do this to make me look good. Yes. Return with me now, he says. This is a verse 30. Before the elders of my people and honor me before Israel that I may bow before the Lord your God. You see, the order in his mind is, if I can be honored, then I can worship God. But I can't worship God unless I first am honored. And one of the things that gets in our way with repentance is we we want to somehow still make ourselves look good, even though we've we've sinned. 
and you see it with Adam and Eve, you know, the woman that you gave me, uh, or Eve, you know, the serpent, you know, gave me, and, and, and it's just, we're trying to pass it off on somebody else. We're trying to say that the circumstances were really difficult. Uh, one of the best confessions, I think, in all of scripture is David, who just says when Nathan confronts him, I have sinned against the Lord. And that's it. Like, he doesn't need to try to explain himself. He just says, I did wrong. Uh, and I did I wrong like against God. I like the confession of the prodigal son. I have sinned against heaven and in your side. Yeah. Your side. So repentance is not about saving faith, saving and, and getting what you want. Because remember what we said repentance was? It fundamentally Let's go back over the Ten Commandments, the negative Ten Commandments. Do not steal. Selfish people steal. Yeah. Do not bear false witness. Selfish people bear false witness. Do not covet. Selfish people covet. Do not commit adultery. Selfish people commit adultery. But you can be selfish and find a bunch of other sins that you can do. Right. Jesus wants us to get rid of the root of it. And here, the selfishness is still there. He's saying, okay, okay, after repeatedly arguing that he's lost the debate, he's going to lose the kingdom. Now, okay, how can I get out of this? Okay. That's not repentance. Yeah. The, the woman that went in and was watching Jesus speak and just crying, she wasn't there to impress Jesus with what a holy woman she's been. Right. She's sorry for her sin. Yeah. Prodigal son does not come back, you know, expecting dad to be proud of what he's done for the past months or years. He's sorry for his sin. Now, the irony is that the paradox of Jesus. Who gets to be first? The last. Who gets to be exalted? No. Who gets to find their life? So you have the Ethiopian eunuch. He finds out who went to the lamb, went to the slaughter like a lamb, and was punished for his sins. He goes on his way rejoicing. The people in Acts chapter 2 find out they killed the Messiah. They repent. They're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of our sins and are continuing with gladness of heart. There's great, great joy in starting to look at ourselves where we're supposed to look at us before God. And the essence of that is the first and second greatest commandment. Greatest commandment, number one, vertical. Love God with all your hearts. Number two, horizontal. Love the leader as yourself. When we're not repentant, we've got an inflated view of life. And our will becomes more important than people and more important than God. And it has to be found like David was and brought back down here. Right. Because God loves us, but he loves the other person too. So, Dustin, you got several kids. I got several kids. Uh, as of this past weekend, we don't have kids in the house. First time in almost 40 years. Exciting, kind of sad, right? But you love your kids. You want them to do well. But you don't want them to do well by cheating the other one. 
<laughs> learning to see ourselves where God sees us. Yeah. You, you mentioned joy. Um, with repentance, I usually think of sorrow, uh, but it's a, it's a joy that is more complete because it's honest. Uh, I think of Matthew 5, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So the, the only way to really get this full joy that comes from being restored to God is by repenting. And I, I think of, you mentioned a passage there in, um, you know, that, that doesn't talk about repentance exactly, but it's Luke 9 and it's this, the picture of the cross. Uh, one of my favorite pictures of repentance is in Mark 2, where he describes uh, the the new wine and the old wineskins. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus has been confronted about fasting. And there's some Pharisees and disciples of John who have these questions about Jesus and his disciples not fasting. And he says, look, you don't, you don't understand because you don't see who I am. I'm the bridegroom. It's time to rejoice. There's real joy. But in verse 20, he says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. And, and really what I, I take away from this is the idea that, that there were some people then, and, and some people today too, who go to Jesus expecting to just sort of incorporate him into their lives. And they're going to work him in and make time for religion and make time for Bible reading and time for prayer. And they just need to add on to the good they're already doing. But Jesus said that's kind of like taking a, a, a patch of one kind of cloth to an older garment. It's just going to make things worse. We're putting new wine into old wineskins. If our lives aren't willing to flex I'm not willing to change and adapt to Jesus, not have him adapt to me. I'm just going to be torn open. Uh, so what Jesus is offering is a complete transformation. What he's demanding is a, a new life, not just an adapted behavior. So it, it doesn't mention repentance, but this passage has been fundamental to me in thinking about the changes that are required if I'm going to repent. I've got to completely change and give up on self, give up on pride, give up on my way of doing things, and just just turn to the Lord. So um, Mark 2 is one of those passages that, that has helped to transform my thinking from, I just feel bad about my sin, to I've got to fundamentally change my life <laughs> in order to be submitting to Jesus here. Um, are there any examples, um, whether from your own life or just from people you've worked with? I, I know sometimes we may be in the middle of helping people and we, you know, kind of fresh in our minds. Um, any examples of people you've worked with before or just from your own life of what repentance, pe people who have repented successfully or maybe people yeah. who, who didn't repent successfully? So... Every once in a while, if I've dealt with, say, a, a young couple where there's been infidelity or flirting with somebody at work, there's an older couple that I, I bring in because 
this older couple, and they're in their probably late 70s now, are just devoted to each other. They just love each other. It is a beautiful marriage. I know them when it wasn't that way. Mm. But from their description, I know it used to not be that way. When they got married, she was a Christian. He was not. Uh, he was brought up in a family. Oh, I think I think you may be muted, Scott. Yeah. Serial adulterer. And they repented. And he just changed. He became a Christian. He was available and willing to do anything. Um, he cares about people. You know, I've, I've just seen him like tear up, you know, doing comments at the Lord's Supper. Um, he, and, and I, I bring them in because I want people to see, because sometimes people feel like, I've messed up so bad. Everything's ruined. Right, right. Well, they've got such a better marriage than a lot of people where there's never been cheating. Because he actually repented. He changed who he was. He became a child of God. He became devoted to his wife. And that's who I, that's who I recommend people talk to to see and, and it, if they're wise it can give them hope yes to realize, you know, and of course what brought them to the point that they're in selfishness certainly selfishness on the part of the person that's flirting or cheating with somebody else perhaps selfishness on the part of the other person which has created the desire to be somewhere else but to see that when people are unselfish, which these two people are, how much happiness and joy is in that. It's interesting you, you say that their marriage is better than some marriages of people who've never had to repent of stuff like this. And that's just, I think sometimes we're afraid of what we're going to lose when we okay. confess and admit, I've got something to repent about. We've got everything to gain because we're turning back to the Lord and we're we're turning back to the one who can restore us to life and raise us up. Um, and the thing that gets in my way the most is my own sin and foolishness and pride. And so I'm saying death to all that and I'm going to do it the way God wants me to do it. It's just it's such a happy thing to surrender to the Lord. Uh, our lives are just so much better. I, I don't have the insecurity of having to try to make myself look good when I know I'm not. Uh, so yeah, it just that's a that's a wonderful story. Um, there's a go ahead. I've got noise here again, so you go ahead. The Wi-Fi wasn't working for them usually. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, it's cutting out a little bit here and there. We'll. we'll We'll pick up just fine. There was one uh, one situation I was in talking with someone, and they kept asking, well, I just don't know what it looks like to repent. I don't know what it looks like to repent. And we kept talking about practical changes. And and I've, I've come to realize 
that you can't repent for someone. You you can't like someone's got to decide to give up on themselves and give up on their own way before they're actually going to repent. Uh, this was someone who just was hoping to feel the right feelings before they ever turn their lives over to God. And, and I don't know, you, you can talk to people about the changes they need to make. You can talk to them about a transformed life. You can talk to them about new habits to build, but until they are ready to put their old lives to death and to hate sin and to hate what it was and, and to despise themselves for having uh, rebelled against God, there's just, there's no hope. Uh, and it's it's been really frustrating to try to help people when you feel sorrier for their sin than they do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I've often wished people had a manual override switch on the side of their head. They can just say, sorry, better override that. And you, you can't. It's got to come from them. Uh, the Word, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. We can show them the Word. We can see if they will respond. But if they're hard-hearted and wayside, or if they're rocking around and there is no root, they just may not care. So I want to mention three things real quickly. One is going back to King Saul, and then talk about um, not making provision. Uh, part, Part of repentance is changing direction and plan of what we do. But real quick on King Saul. What should King Saul have done? Stop arguing with Samuel. Just confess, yeah. 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 And, but if I recall correctly, I think in the text, God has already said to Samuel, I've rejected Saul from being king. So even if he accepted it, it's already done. When David confessed his sin, it didn't change the fact that he was going to lose that baby. But you know what he could have been? He could have been the John the Baptist before King David. He could have said, you know, uh, let's follow God. I must de- Yeah, I must decrease and you must increase. Absolutely. Hand it over to him. Uh, watched his son Jonathan become part of David's, you know, close circle in the cabinet and, and, and a man of honor and accepted the situation as it was. Instead, he dies a miserable, miserable man, fighting a battle that he's not going to win. And he tries to hold on to it. Like he keeps trying to fight against the Lord's anointed and trying to establish his own right and defend himself against the rule of, of God's chosen king. And that, I mean, wow, I, I hadn't thought about that. But what a, what a picture of our continued rebellion against Jesus, even after we know we need to change. Yeah. And then... Once we repent, this is this is there, there's a verse at the end of first excuse me, Romans chapter 13. It says, make no provision for the flesh. Ephesians 4 says, don't give place to the devil. One reason why sometimes we don't bring forth much fruits of repentance is because we keep making provision for the flesh. Uh, if, if I leave a donut on the ground, I'm going to get ants. If I leave tuna fish on the porch, I'm going to get a cat. Uh, and if we say, oh, here's this sin, but we keep making provision for it, uh-huh. it's consciously or subconsciously, 
or foolishly in ignorance, we're not noticing where it's coming in, and we keep then making provision, and then, oh, why does this keep happening to me? Well, we keep making provision. So, what does Jesus say in Matthew 5? If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Causes you to stumble, plug it up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and so the decision to to do that, that helps bring us forth through repentance. And that's, that's part of the joy. I mean, is when when you realize that you're free to actually say no to yourself. You are free to not be a, a slave to that sin. It is it's amazing because I can say, you know what? Um, I, I don't love this sin. You know what? It, it made me do things I didn't want to do. It held me captive for so long. I'm cutting it off and I'm not looking back. And and it, it takes that first slice of the wrist, if you will, that first plucking out, that first destroying of those, um, was, he, was he saying, 2 Corinthians 10, those, those lofty opinions, you know, we, we captivate the mind and the heart and we give it to Jesus. And it's just, it's freedom. And yep. uh, it, it's hard to, to put a price tag on that kind of joy. And so we've got to learn to hate the sin. Yes. See it as, you know, this is what put Jesus on the cross. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't want that anymore. You see the Israelites in the wilderness and they're begging when they're in bondage, they're begging for deliverance. They're crying for deliverance. They're given the deliverance. And then when it's not, you know, air conditioned and, you know, comfy cozy, they're, you know, looking back towards Egypt. What does uh, Lot's wife do? Looks back. Uh, and so that learning to hate sin, Romans 12 says something really powerful. Abhor what is evil cleave to what is good. Yeah. Now, don't make this overly simplistic. I don't want to give the impression that if we have our heart right, it's always easy to do right. Because Jesus' heart was right, and it wasn't easy in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right. There are hard things. But if we will train ourselves to develop an appetite for good and a disgust for evil, it will make turning from evil so much easier. So, for instance, a simple woman in Luke chapter 7, um, if she's looking back at her life, maybe the gifts that she's received from men or the attention or something, oh, I want that, I want that, that's going to produce one thing. But if she looks back and sees how disgusting this is, a lot of young men are trapped in pornography right now. And if they will stop and see this, even as uh, some of the film stars, the, the porn stars, I read an article one time about a porn star convention, um, and the, the people that do these things, they make money off it, but they really look down on their customers. They call them the trench coats, and it described a bunch of them as just like pale, not because they have fair complexion, but because they don't ever get out of the basement. You know, they just live on their computers and they don't have a real life. They don't have real relationships. They're just, just they, and that's what they call them, trench coats. Uh, if, if, if a fellow will stop and realize this is how I'm 
of you. You know, I'm being used. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm paying attention to people who don't care anything about me. This is not fulfilling. That learn to hate it. When the person learns to be disgusted enough by it, then it's so much easier to flee fornication. Yeah. I, I, just, I think that's so helpful beginning in the heart. And like you said, it doesn't always make it easy, but it's going to be impossible if we don't hate sin. Uh, it's necessary to learn to love the Lord and look at all the blessings he's given us. It's sort of like in the garden again, where uh, if they just stopped and said, you know what, I've got every tree in the garden yeah. uh, and look at all the blessings. Proverbs 5 does that too, where it says, I want you to look at that immoral woman and see the trap. I want you to see the double-edged sword. I want you to see the step down to Sheol. And I don't look at your wife and see the yeah. left for her. Um, I, I want to briefly mention something that's practical in Ephesians 4. Um, you, you said something earlier about uh, needing to to think about practically how to change. And John the Baptist in Luke 3 gives some very practicals like, you know, tax collectors, here's what you do. Guards, here's what you do. Here's what change looks like. And uh, I found it really helpful to make a repentance plan. In Ephesians 4, verse 17, uh, he, he says, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous, have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I found it really helpful to even just like chart out on paper four columns. And one is uh, the the way I used to walk. And it's, you know, this calloused, sensual, greedy life. And then this other category, these two middle columns are about my understanding. I was darkened in my thinking. Uh, I was deceived. I had futile thinking in verse 17. And then there's this transformed thinking. I learned Christ. I learned about Jesus. And then there's this true life of righteousness and holiness created after the likeness of God. And just thinking about those categories, wherever I am, I may be thinking there are some good things I'm not doing that I know I need to be doing. What is the truth that I'd have to believe in order to do that? What's the lie? that I may actually believe that's keeping me from doing that? Or what are the sins that I'm captivated by that need to change? And what would it look like to obey God? What am I basing those actions off of? What beliefs am I, am I basing my life on there that are not true and confront those things with the gospel? If I can confront those lies with the truth of Jesus, I can see a progression there. And just taking some time to make out a repentance plan in those four columns has been really helpful to me. It's, it's gotten down into the nitty gritty. Someone once told me, change doesn't happen in fuzzy land. Like if, 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 you're, if you're going to the gym and you really want to put on muscle, you don't just kind of randomly go from machine to machine doing stuff. Like you've got a plan and you, you come in today's leg day. Today is arm day. Today is back day. Today is aerobic day. You know, you, you've got a, 
legit plan and you're keeping track of your calorie intake and your protein intake and you are watching your weight and you're you've got your rest days and you've got accountability partners who are going to go in with you and you've, you've got a plan if you really want to see development and change which is what we're talking about with repentance you've got to have a plan and so i think sometimes we're just kind of casual and say yeah i really hope that maybe one day i'll change and we that don't know it's, it's fuzzy land we've got to be we've got to be serious about this kind of change so anyway I, it's more about time for us like to the governor said it more can be i'm sorry what was that uh, i was saying like when the governor said it a more convenient season Yes. There's yeah. not going to be a convenient time not selfish. We have to decide. And uh, one last thought. Uh, Satan puts a big juicy worm on the hook. If there's a hook, and there's a line, and there's a skillet, there's a frying pan. And if you're looking at the worm, you're going to be deceived. Look at the hook. Yes. Ignore the worm. Look at the hook. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Scott, thanks for the discussion today. Uh, really helpful. Uh, and, and we trust that if you're tuning in today that you found this study of God's word helpful. There's a lot more we could discuss about repentance, but we hope that uh, it encourages you to get serious about change and growth. Jesus wants to help us to be fruitful and to be more like him. Uh, so thanks for tuning in today. Uh, if you have requests for future studies and discussions, you can visit our website, BibleQuest.tv. Thanks for joining in. God be with you. And if he's willing, uh, we'll see you next week. We hope you enjoyed today's Bible Quest. If you have any questions or comments, please go to BibleQuest.org and click on the Submit Questions tab near the top right. If you'd like to learn more about God's Word, we also offer a number of resources, including online Bible courses. You can click on the links at the end of this video or visit our other website, Bible-Moments.com. There you can find videos on different topics, as well as choose from a variety of Bible courses that are available on demand at no cost. Thank you.